Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to episode number 222 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and today we're going to be joined by special guest Ken Rideout of the Fight with Teddy Atlas podcast. That's going to be a lot of fun. And it's 18 years to the day, HBO Boxing After Dark, Arturo Gatti, Mickey Ward, and the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Man, it's been 18 years to the day of that outstanding fight, the ninth round of that fight, one of the best rounds you're ever going to see in boxing. Some have called it the greatest round in the history of boxing. I don't know if I go quite that far, but easily, easily the greatest round of boxing, I think, this century. You can absolutely make that argument. But we've had, I mean, you know, Hagler Hearns, we've had some great rounds, you know what I'm saying? But that ninth round, oh my God. Uh, I, I'm all man, I'm an alpha male. But I'll admit, I've had tears in my eyes watching that round before. I'll fully admit it, happily admit it. I don't give a damn if you call me soft. I will fully, openly admit that. That that round has definitely uh, had me tearing up before because there was just so much humanity encapsulated in that three minutes. But guys, before I talk about that, make sure that you go ahead and like the video here on YouTube. Make sure that you spread the word about the podcast. Uh, Make sure that you share, post, like, Subscribe, all that good stuff. Follow us. Leave a rating and a review if you can. That helps me out tremendously. The YouTube people do not want guys like me to continue to grow because they have invested all their money in the corporate entities of media. That's not, you know, that includes the fight media, okay? It's all media, but that includes the fight media, obviously. So they want to get guys like me out of there. The only way we can fight them is if you guys subscribe and you guys share the videos and you get it out there. You get your other boxing peeps to subscribe as well. That's how we fight back. Because trust me, they change those algorithms to hook up their corporate homies. They're all exchanging money behind the scenes, taking care of each other. Little guys like me, they don't want me rising. So let's fight back. Subscribe, share, get it out there. That's not just here on YouTube. That's the audio podcast as well, guys. It's quarantine. It's crazy. I've got all kinds of stuff going on. I'm still trying to put out content for you guys. I'm not trying to do the same old tired shit of just pound-for-pound list and mythical matchups. I'm trying to give you guys some different stuff. We've had all sorts of different guests from different parts of the boxing world. Everyone from fighters themselves, publicists, other journalists, everybody. Blow-by-blow announcers. And today we're going to have Ken Rideout on. He he does the podcast with Teddy Atlas. Interesting dude. Really, really interesting dude. And he's from Mass, Massachusetts, the same part of the world Mickey Ward's from. So it's only fitting he'd be on the show today on the 18th anniversary of the first fight between Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward. So let's talk about that a little bit, guys. And by the way, if you got any questions for Ken or myself, uh, you know, get them, get them ready. And I'm sure he'd be more than willing to take calls later on. We could do that or uh, just get him on here on the chat. Sometimes, guys, there's a lot of moving parts and I can't see everything. But I'll tell you right here, I'm going to screen over here to my right. When that super chat pops up, boop, it does get my attention. Your question will get on the show, okay? So I just want to put that out there. Okay, let's go. Oh, by the way, quick uh, housekeeping item. No TNC next Monday. So I have family coming to town this weekend helping me do some work on the house. I need some more muscle. So I got some uh, some family coming here to visit to help me do some things. They're going to be around for Memorial Day 
so there will be no show next Monday, okay? I just want to let you guys know. But we'll be back the following Monday. And, of course, in between now and then, there's probably going to be a rant video or two. So just want to let you guys know, no show next Monday, the 25th. Okay, 18 years ago today, HBO, Boxing After Dark, Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, about 100 miles south of Ward's hometown. So it was basically a hometown fight for him. Not exactly, but in terms of proximity, it was more of a hometown fight for Mickey Ward. And if you watch that fight and the crowd reaction and everything, you see that. It was pretty much a hometown fight for him. Not that God, he didn't have fans there, but a lot of people thought that may have been Mickey Ward's last fight. I remember going into that fight, he told everybody, if I lose this fight, I'm retiring. And as it turns out, after the, the three-fight series with Gotti, Ward did retire. So he was at the very end of his career. So was Gotti in actuality. I'll talk more about that in a second. But uh, So the, the fight ends up being fight of the year, not just Ring Magazine, but I think the BWAA, pretty much every platform had that as fight of the year, every single publication. And just about everybody had round nine as the round of the year. Some of you younger guys, unfortunately, didn't get to see it live. You've probably seen it on YouTube a bunch of times. You've seen guys like me tweeting out videos and stuff like that over the years. But you guys who are, I would say, 30 or older, you guys probably remember where you were when that fight happened. I'm sure a lot of you guys out there saw it live. I'd love to hear some of your comments. Get in the chat here or just drop a comment if you watch this video later on, whatever it is. Where were you? Were you at, you're just at home by yourself, were you with some friends, were you at a house party with family members? Where were you when you saw that fight live? Do you remember where you were? It was that kind of an event. I remember as that fight was going on, guys, this is pre-Twitter, okay? It is this millennium, this century, but it's pre-Twitter. And Oh, by the way, I see Pietro on the chat. Pietro, I'm rocking the Arturo Gatti T. I gotta rock this for PS shirts because Arturo, Arturo Gatti, it's Arturo Gatti Mickey Ward Day. You gotta rock this, right? So I'm rocking your T, brother. But um, during that fight, people actually picked up the phone and started calling people. I remember... Um, a couple of my friends called me during the fight. They were like, dude, are you seeing this shit? Are you seeing this? And it was, the, yeah, I'm watching, dude. Shut up. He'd hang up the phone. Then like two minutes later, another friend called. Are you seeing this shit? Yes. Let me watch it. Click. Just hang up the phone. There was like two or three of those during the fight because, uh, I, you know, it was text too. But this was before Twitter where you're watching fights on Twitter and everyone's like, yo, are you seeing this shit? Basically, that's what people do now on Twitter. But back in the day, it used to be pick up the phone, call one of your boys, or text them if you had started texting by then. But it was that kind of an event that it was happening live. And you guys also got to remember, uh, this is before any streaming platforms. It was HBO and Showtime. Those were the two kings of boxing in the United States. And in that era, I would say HBO was still seen as the king. Now, later on, Showtime would have times where they were the top dog. Right? They were doing better work than HBO. But in that time, HBO was the, truly the king, and Arturo Gatti had really become a stable of HBO boxing. Uh, Ward had been on there, obviously. But, of course, you guys remember Mickey Ward. A lot of times he was on Friday Night Fights on ESPN. But uh, it was just a special event. Anyway, majority decision win by Mickey Ward. And that was seen as controversial by, by some he did score a knockdown in the ninth round off a left hook to the body that still hurts looking at it today. I watched that round again today. 
I think I tweeted it, and, and I was just like, holy shit, how does a human being get up from that shot? I mean, just what, just the balls of Arturo Gatti, the toughness. But uh, Gatti was deducted a point by referee Frank Cappuccino in the fourth round for a low blow. So those two points ended up costing him the fight. And uh, one judge, Frank Lombardi, did have it a draw, 94-94. That's how I had it. That's how Harold Letterman had it. Basically, six rounds to four for Gotti. You could even make an argument for seven, but you could also make an argument 5-5, and that would be enough for Ward to win. I think the whole HBO crew had it for Gotti, which really isn't surprising. But look at the punch numbers, man. Uh, Gotti, 350 punches landed out of 779. Lands 45%. Of his overall punches. I'm not talking power punches. I'm talking total punches. 45%. Okay. He landed 60% of his power punches. That tells you the type of fight this was. 296 power punches for Gotti. Now Ward landed only 268 punches. But he landed 49% of his overall punches. So again, that's crazy. He landed 225% or 225 power punches, uh, 55%. So both of these guys couldn't miss, right? They were blocking punches with their face all night. I think Gotti did the better work throughout, but the, the, the rounds that Ward won, particularly in the second half of the fight, he seemed to win those rounds a little wider. And maybe that's why he gave the impression uh, to some people. I just, I thought the fight was a draw. I thought it was a draw, but uh, you know, no one was mad that Mickey Ward got the decision. Nobody. Because, in fact, if, if you ask most people now about those that three-fight trilogy, uh, most people will remember that Gotti won at least two of them. You know, that he won the series, right? But most people, I, I won't say most, a lot of people, particularly casual fans that watched those fights, they won't even tell. They can't even tell you who won the first fight or who won the second or third. They just be oh God, he won most of them. That's just all they remember, because the first fight was so good. Nobody gave a shit about who won and which way the cards went. Um, God, he won fights two and three, of course. And after the series, as I mentioned before, Mickey Ward retired in uh, after that third fight in two thousand three. These two fought three times in thirteen months. The first and third fights were the fight of the year. And Gotti, after the three-fight series with uh, Ward, went on to have seven more fights. I think he fought on far too long. He went four and three in that span. And he had a bad loss to Floyd Mayweather in 2005. Had no business being in the ring with Floyd at that point. But that was a brand-building exercise for Floyd. Believe it or not, guys, at that time in 2005, Arturo Gotti was the A-side in that fight. Imagine, if you will, Arturo Gatti was the A-side in 2005 when him and Floyd Mayweather fought. Uh, so he retired, Gatti did, in 2007. He was murdered two years later, and it brought into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2013. So one thing that I thought about as I was thinking about this thing today, and I knew I was going to talk about it here on the show, what, one question I wanted to ask you guys, and I'm going to ask Ken this later on, what differences would there be if those three fights happened now in the age of Twitter. Interesting to think about, right? As much as there would be this, I mean, you know, it'd break the internet to a certain degree. All the GIFs, all the videos that people, or GIFs, 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 I don't know, however would you pronounce it, videos 
that people would be sending of the fight. Let's just take the first one, the one that happened 18 years ago today. If that fight had just happened, right? Number one, it wouldn't be on HBO. It'd probably be on the Zone or ESPN or, or, or Fox or you know. But it, it wasn't pay per view. So let's let's just imagine that it's on one of those platforms. How would Twitter react? Now there would be positive, good stuff, right? From a lot of people saying, "Oh man, what a great fight!" Blah blah blah. But you know damn well. Unfortunately, with the age we live in, there would be a group of people out there trashing the fight, saying, oh, this was skillless, just limited brawlers, this just slugging away. This was, you know, a barroom bar brawl, a backyard brawl, bum fights, you know, all that sort of stuff. You'd see that on Twitter. Believe it or not, you would see that. And I say that because I remember, you know, I, I was too young. I wasn't ringside. I wasn't covering boxing yet back for this fight but I, I was ringside for several fights of the year and one of them that stands out to me is of course Orlando Salido Francisco Vargas and I remember going on Twitter you know I'm there at that fight everyone there is thinking this is amazing right everyone's having an amazing time witnessing such a great fight but then I go on Twitter and particularly the following week when some of the haters who didn't watch it live watched it Sunday night, whatever, the, the replay. And I saw the reaction Monday and I saw there's a group of people, including not just on Twitter, but I saw some YouTube videos calling that fight trash and saying this was just two skillless bums, you know, with no skills beating the shit out of each other. And I thought, man, what is wrong with people? Number one, there's plenty of skill in that fight. But number two, can't you just accept something great? And it just got me thinking about this one. I, I tell you right now, man, if, if this fight if between Gotti and Ward happened today, there would be a group of people on Twitter calling it shit, calling it an overrated, crappy fight, and there would be a bunch of people making YouTube videos. Uh, number one, there'd be a bunch of YouTube videos doing the slow motion thing, trying to make it look like one guy won more than the other did, you know, all that stuff. But then there'd be a bunch of people on there calling it shit and, you know, dissing it. I'm telling you right now, man, that's just the way these things go on uh, Twitter these days. It's a shame. It really is a shame. Uh, but such is life. Such is life. Okay, uh, about five more minutes, and I think uh, Ken Rideout will be calling in. So I see one of you guys is on the phone right now. Uh, if you got something, just um, call back in about you know twenty minutes or so. All right, give us some time on the uh, the phone lines, guys. Call back in about fifteen twenty minutes, and uh, we'll get the kind of the questions going. But uh, let's see what else. Uh, I definitely want to talk. More, oh, I see Jack's, oh, Jack, yeah, call back, uh, give me about 20 minutes or so, brother, because uh, Ken should be calling in here any minute, so go ahead and jump off the line and call back a little bit later on, man, all right, um, let's see, we're going to talk more about Gotti Ward, obviously, because it needs to be talked about, it should never, never be forgotten, but let's talk about some actual kind of news, I guess this is kind of boxing news, top rank Planning a card for June. Now, nothing's official. We don't have anything officially on the schedule yet, but apparently they're going to have a card in June. And then they're also planning a card in July, specifically July 2nd, around the July 4th holiday, obviously, in Las Vegas, featuring 
Jamel Semperfi Herring, who's a friend to the show, who was on the show just a couple weeks ago. So uh, Jamel obviously knew something was cooking because, as I told you guys on the show, or as he told us, uh, he was going to camp. So um, once uh, you know, once he told me that, I was like, hmm, something's in the works. So boxing is coming back, guys. Uh, and then Eddie Hearn is talking about doing fights in his backyard. I don't know, man. We'll we'll see how that works. Uh, look, it's crazy times. You got to do what you got to do. I'm not opposed to Eddie Hearn doing fights in his backyard. We'll talk more about that in a second. But for right now, let's get over to the guest hotline. And let's bring our special guest on here. Mr. Ken Rydow. Can you hear me, sir? Mike, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? Can you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. I can't believe that, uh, you know, because we, we talked over the weekend and uh, we forgot. Uh, I did. I know I forgot. I that 18 years ago today, Gotti and Ward in Connecticut, bro. 18 years. Can you believe it's been 18 years since that fight? No, I feel like a dinosaur because I feel like <laughs> I was old when it happened. Right. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, well. Yeah, man. And then it's 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 crazy because there's been several of these trilogies, right? And, and like when I think of like Vasquez Marquez, who actually fought four times, but I think of that as a trilogy. That feels like it was just a couple of years ago. But I, Showtime just replayed those fights, you know, during lockdown. And I'm like, holy shit, it's been a lot longer yeah. since those fights. And then I'm thinking, Gotti and Ward, they fought in 2002 and 2003, dude. There are people that were born that year that are just now getting their diploma <laughs> in the mail, their high school diploma. We're getting old, brother. <laughs> I know. It's uh, crazy. Well, you know, an even crazier story, when I first met Mickey Ward in 1989, we were both correction officers at the Billerica House of Correction. And I was a big boxing fan back then. That was I started there maybe a week after I graduated high school. And I was in there. And uh, now I grew up in the inner city in Boston. And as I'm walking in, you know, I know some of the inmates. That wasn't that unusual. I know that might sound crazy to some people. But it, it is what it is. And then all of a sudden I see Mickey Wood. And I'm like, holy shit, dude. Mickey Ward works here? <laughs> you know, at the time he was like, you know, a, a good fighter. But a club fighter at best. Right, right. So when I ever saw him in 2002, 13 years later on uh, – Yes, uh, HBO, HBO main event against Gotti. My first, yeah, my first reaction was like, "Oh my God, what's Mickey doing in there with this kid? This is gonna be ugly." And when he ever started putting it on him, I was like, "Oh my God!" It was like, you know, it was like one of our own was was slaying the dragon. It was just, and I loved Gotti, but my God, watching Mickey Ward put it on him in that fight was incredible. Yeah, just incredible. Was- you know, I, I think one thing that separates that trilogy from other trilogies, because, you know, there there have been better trilogies, but usually when you have three guys empty the tank like that three times, they're usually in their prime. But both Gotti and especially yep. Ward, they were past their prime, bro. Because you think even Gotti, I think it was 2001, he lost to Oscar De La Hoya. And, that, you know, that was just a quick payday. He had no business being in the ring with Oscar. But before that, I want to say 98, 99, he had a few losses there. He had been beat up. And, uh, you know, Mickey was on the tail end of his career. So the fact that those three guys at that stage of their career could do what they did, that to me is what separates that trilogy from the others. What stands out to you from that trilogy? 
Man, all the only thing I can think about when I like what I just described when I think about those guys is just a how what nice guys they were and the image of those two in the hospital room. I think maybe after the third fight where they're both in the ER and the, mm-hmm. the doctor pulls back the curtains and they're both laying on the stretchers and they're like in, in the in the ER bays next to next to each other. That's what I think about because you know people know about the fight but not a, a lot about. I mean, people have spoken about it, but not as 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 much as I think it deserves to, to be heard. Is how bad Mickey was hurt after that third fight. I mean, he had a like uh, yeah. I think a detached retina. Yeah. He would wake up, and sometimes his vision would be flipped. He'd be seeing things upside down. They had to do a surgery to tighten the muscle behind his eye that connects to his brain. I mean, really, really like severe injuries, like serious, serious shit. shit. Yeah. And uh, that he's that he's dealt with for a long time but you know while the fight's going on i mean you would have had to kill him to get him to stop literally i mean it was just and 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 in the image of dickie eckland in the corner and giving him instructions just knowing about because again when i met mickey the first time me and mickey were guards dickie was an inmate at the same time yeah, you know and it was like right, right. <laughs> holy shit bro i didn't think about it like that Oh, dude, that place, that place was crazy. Whenever I talk to my friends from Boston, now we laugh about it because thank God this, what, this didn't happen while I was there, but shortly after I stopped working there, I moved to New York and uh, started working in finance. My brother ended up being an inmate there like Mickey's. And it was like, you know, like a family affair, business as usual for the kind of the area where we both grew up. It's, you Looking know back on it now, obviously it seems crazy. No, you know, it, it's I, I can relate. It's very similar to what, what I grew up in Detroit. It was a similar kind of thing where a lot of the guys in the neighborhood, my friends, half of them went to jail. A portion of them went to the military. If you're one of the guys lucky to kind of get out of that, you know, and break out of that working class uh, upbringing um, and, and break out, you know, like we have, we've both done well for ourselves. Um Looking back, you're like, holy shit, how did I survive some of those things? And just things that we thought were normal, <laughs> right? Because you, you probably thought it was normal seeing Mickey Ward there and then seeing Dickie where he was and seeing how some of those things played out over the years. But now I'm sure you look back, you're like, dude, that ain't normal. <laughs> like most people don't experience oh. that growing up, right? Yeah, yeah, no. And and listen, I, I, I always make a point to say, doesn't make you tougher or, or more tough or less tough. It just it is what it is. This mm-hmm. is just what happened. And um, I wouldn't wish this on my children for for any amount of money. You know, I wouldn't want them to see those things. But when you when it's happening to you, it's just like you don't know, you don't know any different. So it's not like, oh, my God, I'm living in this very dangerous place. And it wasn't like that. It was just right. they. I probably had the same mindset my own kids think have. But Instead of me, uh, you know, yelling at them for leaving their bike on the sidewalk, it's my parents <laughs> yelling at me because someone stole my bike. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. It's like, Dude, I saw uh, th- um, these kids. It was, it was, uh, that reminds me. There was like, I was actually talking to my mom the other day about this. Uh, th- there was like four kids, big high school kids that stole my sister's bike, my little sister's bike. And my ma, no shoes on, ran down the fucking street chasing after them. Screaming, chasing after her with like a spatula. You know, give me, give me back that bike, motherfucker. Yep. She was screaming all kinds of stuff. And uh, the four kids gave up the bike. Now, these, it was four dudes. They could have done anything they wanted. And they gave up the bike. You know, it's yep. just because my mom probably came off as this crazy person running down the street. It's, you know, 20 degrees outside or some shit with no shoes on, screaming at these kids. And uh, yeah, now, you know, it's just funny. Like, 
my my fiance, she grew up completely opposite of that. She grew up in the suburbs of San Diego. So when I tell her stories like that, she just she's like, that sounds like a fucking movie. And I'm like, no, nah, that's pretty much just what happened all the time. That's just normal shit. Anyway. <laughs> yep. uh yeah see there's two old guys uh reminiscing everybody uh but you know what yeah yep. you being from massachusetts i i know that you probably thought ward won that first fight um do you think oh, i thought you... he won all of them <laughs> you thought he won all, them. <laughs> Shit. all right no bias at all ladies and gentlemen no bias at all i was gonna well look i thought the first fight was a draw now do you think I'm crazy, or could you say reasonably that within reason somebody could score that first fight a draw? I mean, all of that boxing scoring is so subjective. Like, you could easily make a case for a lot of close rounds where you like okay. this work better, a little bit better than his work here. So, like, it to me, arguing over close rounds is like arguing over art or like the Academy Awards. Like I thought that movie was dog shit. I wouldn't watch that if you paid me, but it won every award, you know, like there's always situations where it's like people's interpretation of things are different. And so when you're dealing with like judging on a subjective basis, like gymnastics, boxing, not to compare the two, but I'm saying right. a lot of times you'll have discrepancies in judging. So I, I try not to get too emotional about that. I do get pissed if my guy doesn't win, but look, it is, I, I, could you make an argument? I'm sure you probably could. I thought that Mickey definitely won the first one. Um, but you know, unless that's why they always say, don't leave it to the judges and there won't be any debate. That's true. <laughs> that's very, very true. My friend. Um, so being from mass, I got to ask you about this non-boxing related and we'll get to your background in boxing sure. and all that stuff. But Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Dead to me. No shit. Dead, Dead to, to you? Really? Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. You, you serious, Dead bro? Dead to me. So, so, okay, so you're not going to become <laughs> uh, a Bucs no, fan next year? Not a chance. I never root for any other team other than Boston. Damn. Well, okay. Not a chance. So, because I know you're a Tom if Brady my kids, guy. If my kids... If if my kids play for the Buccaneers, I'll be all over the Buccaneers and hate everyone else. But unless uh, unless my kids are on the team, I'm rooting for Boston. Okay, well let's just I let's love, just say I love, I love Brady on the Patriots, but going to the Buccaneers, come on, man. <laughs> well, that's why I I didn't know because I know you guys from Boston from that area are hardcore about your your teams. But now that he went to the Bucks, <laughs> okay, and now they got Gronk apparently. If the Bucks make it to the Super Bowl, right? Are you going to watch? Are you going to pull for him? Or are you rooting against them because he left? Um, I probably wouldn't root against him. I certainly wouldn't be out there rooting for him. I guess it would depend what the line on the game was, and if I bet on the game, you know, I, I would support whoever I bet on. But I definitely won't be supporting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not a chance in hell. Wow. Wow, man, you Boston guys are hardcore. All right, let's. Uh, you know, I want to ask you about. Uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but just I, every guest on the show, I ask them the latest and greatest news with the COVID situation. Now, you live in a part of the country where I used to live. I was I was not in quite the same neighborhood. You live beautiful Pacific Palisades. I was in K Town, uh, but same same area. And I know that they extended the uh, the lockdown through July, I think, through the end of July. So, But you were telling me you went out the other day and you saw people at the beaches and stuff like that, right? So are people pretty much ignoring the lockdown or 
what's the situation there? I would say that everyone was obeying all orders until the last probably, I would say, five days. Hmm. So on um, Saturday, I went out and rode my bike through Malibu, like all over the place, like 65 miles. And, and so I saw a lot of stuff. And the roads were as busy as ever with motorcycles, people out joyriding through those mountain roads on the weekends. They're busy. And in previous weeks, I've been up there and it was dead. Then I went down to the beach riding along PCH and the parking lots are closed. So you could only get so many people on the beach because you, you'd, you'd have to park and walk. And I mean, you know, after, you know, a few hundred cars, you're miles, miles away. Not many people are walking miles to get there. So, but I would say that the beaches were as crowded as they could be with the parking without having parking available. Uh, and, and then yesterday I actually took my kids to the beach. I drove them down, dropped them, went and parked the car far away and then ran back and ran back to get the car to go pick them up when we left. But it was like, I don't know, maybe 50% capacity at the beach, but only again, only because of the parking. But if there was parking available, it would be sellout looking like Memorial day weekend. I think, I think, I think COVID fatigue in LA has kicked in and people are like, nah, I'm not having this anymore. I'll tell you, I'm taking my chances. Yeah, bro. I I think it's it's nationwide. I think people are just starting to get fatigued by it. Uh, Tiffany and I went out this weekend. We saw a bunch of people out, and people weren't being stupid. You know, they were being smart. Uh, but we went to a couple restaurants. The the waiters were wearing um the masks and all that stuff, and the te- the tables were like ten feet apart. So as far as I look, man, at some point you got to go out and live your life. You got to be careful. But I, I just feel this energy in the air of, of fatigue setting in. It, it, it actually, it surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me that people in California are telling Gavin Newsom to fuck off. Uh, I think it's great, personally, because I know, I have too many friends that I know who have already lost their business. I know several people, particularly in LA, that have lost their small business already. And that is terrible, man. Uh, so a lot of these people, they put decades into it. So, I don't know. I don't want to get in a political it's, rant. It's, it's, yeah, no, look, I think it's a tragedy what's happening. I think that the, 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 the powers that be were trying to do the right thing. And I think that they did initially. But now you're starting to realize, like, dude, we can't. Right. First of all, the U.S. government can't buy the U.S. economy for several months. It's not, it's not realistic. And I think that now everyone knows what to expect. The hospitals are prepared. They've got ventilators all over the place. I think that knowing the, yeah, knowing the risks involved in people, social distancing, even when they're out and about, I think that, I think that you'll start to see these things loosening up massively. But again, this is just my opinion. What the hell do I know? But I get the sense people are over it. I think that the residual effects of like, I was telling my wife the other day, can you imagine people like dealing with like domestic abuse issues or, or like, Uh, you know, depression or something? Cause I've been yeah, dude, addiction issues. I don't even know what, like, junkies are doing. How are they going out and, like, <laughs> what are they doing? You know, all of a sudden you're locked in your house with withdrawals. Well, someone think of the junkies. I, you know, someone think of the junkies. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> hey, I'm always looking out for everybody. Hey, you know, every, everybody deserves their, uh, you know, to be looked out for. All right. Um, you know, you talked about biking for 65 miles, which is fucking nuts, by the way. But, uh you're an endurance athlete, so you do this all the time. You do that shit for, in your sleep, practically. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Because you, you do marathons, triathlons. When did you get into that? And have you done any boxing training specifically? Yeah, so um, when I was in – I played football and hockey in high school and college. 
Uh, I was never very good, like jack of all trades, master of none, but I played quarterback in, in high school and college. And then in, uh, in high school, I started boxing. I went to the Somerville boxing club just to like stay busy. Um, when I moved to New York, after I graduated from college, I, uh, boxed for a little while for the New York athletic club, but again, like jack of all trades, master of none. I could look really, I could look like uh, almost as good as Mike Tyson hitting the mitts until someone started throwing back at me and then everything just went out the window. <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> so that's most but, guys on Instagram, uh, basically. When I was... <laughs> exactly. You see, when someone has no experience and someone starts throwing at them, the first thing they do is their eyes go down, their head goes down, and I'm like, no, he's clearly never sparred before. Mm-hmm. Um but so maybe when I was like in my mid thirties, I started to just, I was always active and, and into fitness, but, um, started running a little, my legs started, I started having knee problems. So I bought a bike and I started riding with some guys that, um, worked with me and they were like talking about how good they were on the bike and they were really into it. <clears throat> and I started riding with them and I was like, man, I must be pretty good at this. He's out of these guys are terrible. Cause like I'm smashing them. And um, then I just started getting into biking and running. I eventually was introduced to Lance Armstrong, who I became friendly with. I did some training with him. And um, I, I was like, very quickly, as soon as I got the bike, I was like, oh, I'm going to try and do a race like a, um, and a triathlon. I don't know how I became, came to triathlon. I didn't know how to swim. So I went into the New York Athletic Club. And like everything, you know what people are like, how'd you get into this? How'd you get into that? I'm like, dude, if you're asking those questions, like you're already like a step behind. I never yeah. asked anyone, how do I do this? I just went to the pool, saw learned. someone who knew what they would look like. They knew what they were doing. I was like, dude, can you just watch me swim down to and tell me like a couple things I'm doing wrong? And that was it. And then I just started swimming every day, just enough to get through that portion of the race. And I did, um, I just signed up for a couple Ironmans and after like the second or third one, I qualified for the um, race in Hawaii, the one that's on TV every, um, awesome. every year in October. Yeah. And that was uh super competitive because, you know, there's like 2000 people in the race, but I don't know, a hundred thousand plus try to qualify for, qu- try to qualify for that race every year. So I, I, I ended up doing that thing three times. And um, through doing that, I was obviously running a lot. <clears throat> and in the last, like, I don't know, five years ish, I was like, man, I think I'm a better runner than cyclist. So I started focusing a little more on running and then started running some competitive races, like signing up for half marathons and stuff. And in the last year, I won the Malibu half marathon, Pasadena half marathon, a few other ones. And and I ran a um, 228 marathon in um, Sacramento at this California International Marathon in December. Nice. And that's it. Yeah, man, we were scheduled. Me and my fiance were supposed to do the Nashville marathon this uh spring that's a good one yeah i heard it's it's really beautiful and it's it's a good one to do and um i've i haven't done any any running like that since i was in the marine corps but she had done the la half marathon so we're going to do that then you know idiots had to eat bats so we all got fucked so uh we're scheduled to do it (laughs) next year (laughs) so uh i'll let you know how i do hopefully my knees hold up but how did you get how'd you get hooked up with teddy atlas like how, how far back do you guys go? Yeah, good question. So um, I have a really good friend, Rob Moore, who's the producers that show and basically acts as Teddy's manager. So Rob and I have been doing triathlon and running together for years. And uh, that's how I met him. And coincidentally, just as an FYI, like that's how I, the majority of the business relationships that I have, most of them, the really good relationships stem from, uh, um, 
endurance sports. Like we, we will, all the relationships I have like were developed through interest in endurance running and triathlon. And, um, my buddy, Rob Moore, uh, was a PR guy at Edelman, which is a big uh, PR firm in New York, like big international company. And he was working on the uh, Samsung account when their phones were blowing up and stuff like really seasoned okay. dude um, went to Vandy. So <clears throat> I had coincidentally introduced him to Mike Lee, the uh, light heavyweight fighter who lived out here in LA, had the good story, went to Notre Dame, was a pitch man for Subway sandwiches right. and all that. And I was like, yo, do you have a PR guy? My, my man, Rob just left Edelman. He's doing some freelance stuff. He's got some really good relationships in this sports space. And they started working together just for a few months. And through working with Mike and his dad, John Lee, they introduced him to Teddy and Teddy was like in need of some management and help with a few things. So Rob started working with um, Teddy and uh, asked me if I'd be interested in doing a show with Teddy. And I was like, are you kidding? I would do anything to, to be hell. Yeah, let's do it. So I met, we had lunch together. We um, hit it off and said, all right, let's give it a crack. So we just started recording the show together and um, yeah, we like it's, it's, I mean, he's literally like, a best friend slash father figure at times. I mean, it's like really a cool relationship. He's just a super nice guy. Like contrary to what you see on TV, he's like the most, he's two different people. First of all, he's just like my man. If I called him and like, as an example, when we first started working together, I wasn't sure like how connected he was with the promoters and stuff, which I later come to find out. He's not like necessarily biggest fans of some of the inside boxing insiders per se. Mm -hmm. But so I called him and was like, yo, you have any connections to get uh, tickets to like, I, maybe it was Canelo Jacobs. And he was like, instead of just saying like, nah, I don't really, I wouldn't really, I don't want to call in favors like that. I don't do that. He was like, oh, let me see what I can do. And just bought tickets and sent them to me, unbeknownst to me at the time. Wow. But then I later find out that he bought them. Instead of just saying, no, nah, I got no hookup for that. Because I would never ask him, but can you buy me a ticket? Right. But that's the kind of guy he is. Just like, yeah, I got you. Here's the tickets. They'll be at your house tomorrow. And I was like, you know, and I was like, oh, great, thanks. And then only later did it occur to me, like, did I realize, oh, shit, he bought these. Oh, my God. Now I'm embarrassed. But that's the kind of guy he is. He's just, wow. he's not going to say no. But so at the same time, ask, when you tell him you're gonna do, if you tell him you're gonna do something and you don't, he he's not one of those guys that's just gonna let it go and it's gonna be uncomfortable. He's gonna call you up and be like, "Hey, I gotta talk to you about something," and it's gonna be <laughs> truth. <laughs> oh, yeah, Ted, Real Teddy talk. will do that. He'll go on those rants. I my, uh, I guess uh, stance on Teddy. I don't know what right the the right word is, but when I describe Teddy. You know, I tell people that sometimes it, it seems to me that he's playing it up on the camera because I've only talked to him once, very briefly, off camera. And uh, he was so quiet. And we, there was a card in, I want to say it was Ontario, Riverside. It was somewhere in the Inland Empire. And it was around, um, I don't know if it was Memorial Day. or It was, it was a, a holiday and it was a card themed around the military. And, you know, I, through talking to him after the event, I told him I was in the Marine Corps and he basically complimented me and he said, you know, thank you for what you did for this country. And, you know, said it in this very low keel, even keel kind of way. And it's like, wow, you know, what a cool guy like Teddy Atlas saying that to me, I'm just some fucking boxing writer that was just getting started on the beat. He didn't know me from, from anything. So him saying that, taking that extra moment just to say something like that, like that to me, it made a real big impression. It was like, wow, what a nice guy. 
But I want to ask you, Ken, do you think that sometimes on camera he's playing it up a little bit? Like there's a Teddy Atlas character for the public and then a Teddy Atlas, the real guy. I wouldn't say that he's playing it up. I would say he's probably a little more animated because he also realizes like business is business. And if you want to be on there calling fights, no one's looking for someone to just come on and be robotic. I think that the things that, but none of it is, none of it is, um, none of it is uh, scripted. Like what you see is his real emotions. Like when he gets upset about like bad, bad decisions, bad refing, any injustice, he's, he'll call it out. And he doesn't care about the ramifications. The guy is like, he lives by his own set of principles. And if it means, and if it means burning bridges to call someone over something, the bridge is on fire. Like there is no gray area. If there is something out of line that he doesn't agree with, even if I were to say to him, like, Oh, let's just let this one. No, that's the first step towards like, you know, a crash. Like we don't let that anything go. When we were in camp together with um, <clears throat> Alex Vosdick, just as an example, everything was positive. They, they, like only, the only thing we discussed was positive terms, positive tones. N- never, ever even discussed the possibility of anything negative. And uh, so on fight night, the cut man was there and he said, oh, let me put some Vaseline in, you know, just so, you know, it's dry. Just make sure if you get cracked early, it doesn't bleed. And immediately Teddy's like, no no, we're not talking about anything negative. You know, the guy had just, you know, he was there just for the fight, but right. he said one thing about like, Oh, just in case you get cut. And he was immediately like, no, 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 no. When Malcolm, we're not talking about getting cut. There's no, we're not talking about it. If it happens, it happens, but we're not going to address that. So it was like, you know, very. He sticks like to I a said. script. So it was so... all, it was all, business in camp. yeah there was nothing nice are you talking about i have friends that are like are you talking about fosdick's camp for the baturbia fight yes oh, okay 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 so we were in philly to, we were in philly together for eight weeks and i okay. was basically his assistant and we had a strength coach there and uh chris camacho and me teddy and alex and just so the four of us were living together in some apartment buildings over near the museums same and apartment? we were training grace you guys uh, were in grace the same apartment no, 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 no. Oh, I was going to say, no, okay. No. Me, me and, <laughs> that would have been a bit much. Just because being, being together eight weeks with anyone is, is, yeah, is a lot. And, um, yeah, man, I, I was telling people, you know, I have friends that were like, hey, if you guys need anyone to carry the bucket to the ring, I'm like, there's, this is like, would you think that the Patriots would need you for the Super Bowl to, like, come and, uh, you know, carry helmets out there? There's, like, every step of every day was scripted. There was no room for clowning. There was, it was deadly serious. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it was like a concentration camp. It wasn't, but when it was time to train and, and, and mail preparation, workout scheduling, there was no niceties. There was, it was business, like deadly serious business. And especially in the days leading up to the fight, making weight, uh, the day of the fight, every single thing was scripted. And there was like, there was no room for levity. It was deadly serious business. And yeah. as you could see from the fight, I mean, it was like a lot of things can happen in there. That was a, that was a brutal fight, man. I actually thought Vosdick was winning up like two thirds through that fight. Yeah. And then about Turby have just, just yep. found another level, but you know, Andy Ruiz, you know, there were rumors going around, you know, Andy Ruiz is going to go with the Reynosos now, but they were originally, there were some rumors saying they were, he was going to train with Teddy. And I was thinking in my mind, he won't last two fucking weeks with Teddy. 
because Teddy won't deal with him saying, yeah. hey, man, I'm going to go eat some burgers, you know, or some shit like that in camp. He so wouldn't tolerate I can't that. Even, I can't even begin to tell you how far-fetched that would be. It was like the reason that he works with Alex is because Alex is all in on his career. It's the only thing that matters to him. When we were talking about the camp, we were talking about, should we do it in Big Bear? Should we do it in Philly? And Alex said to me on the phone, because I was helping to like, kind of coordinate all the logistics. Alex said, Ken, I don't care where it is. I'll live in a basement and eat eggs. I don't care. Mm-hmm. So do, what, do wherever Teddy and you, wherever you guys decide, let's go. Like all business. And, and the thought of, you know, someone like Andy, and I don't know, I don't know Andy Ruiz. So maybe in camp, you know, I know he didn't obviously didn't do the right thing in this lead up to the second fight, but who's to say he doesn't get with Teddy and he buys in a hundred percent. So I don't want to speculate and throw Andy under the bus, but I can tell you that there would be no entourage. There would be no dad in camp. There would be no friends. There would be no bullshit whatsoever. Like when we would go to the gym, we locked the door behind us in Graves Ferry, and that place was like, you know, it was a rough place. There was a, this was a rough, like, Philly neighborhood. I mean, we'd lock the door in there. No one was coming in. No one was getting out. <laughs> and we were the only ones in there during the day when we were there. So I would say to anyone who's considering Teddy as a trainer, like, if you're not all in, don't waste your time. because it, but, if, but if you are, he's, I mean, the guy is like an encyclopedia. He's the wizard. I mean, he was seeing things. You know, everyone thinks it's human nature, right? You think you know a little, I know this, or I know a little bit about endurance. Nah. He was seeing things that I was like, oh, my God, I hadn't even thought about that. And we would watch tape, and we would watch, you know, old fights. And he spent a lot of time on the psychological aspect of the fighting, you know, because he always says that fighting is like 75 to 80% psychological. So he spends a lot of time with the fighter a lot of time with the fighter walking along the river over there and talking about different aspects of the fight. It was, it was intense and it was uh, quite a learning experience to say the least. I can but yeah, imagine. back to your point about Ruiz is like that, 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 I, you know, it seems a little bit far fetched, but you know, look, Teddy is, he's a nice guy. If you say, Hey, I want to train with you. Okay. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. And I think maybe they got a taste of like what his response was and what he was expecting from them. And they were like, nah, this is already too much. You know what I mean? I Yeah, I totally agree. When, when I first heard that, I was like, get the fuck out of here. Because it, it just wouldn't work. And, you know, Andy, nothing against Andy. It's just Andy has a reputation. And I've spoken with several trainers who have worked with him. I mean, going back to uh, when he was you know still with top rank and uh, well before he had fought for a title. And um, just knowing, just hearing the things that they say, the guy has a reputation. And it, I think he yep. could be better with a guy like Teddy. I think if he actually bought all in, Teddy would make him better. But he's just not that guy. He's not going to do it. But, um, you know, for, for Vosdick, that was such – you talk about the mentality and just uh, the emotions and all that that are involved. That was a very psychological fight. You, you saw a psychology playing very. out as you watched that fight. You know, what, what, what things did you see in that fight – where you're thinking, okay, this is starting to turn. Seeing, you know, because you were up front with, with Vosdick for like eight weeks, right? Is there anything that you yep. just saw in that fight where you're like, ooh, you just kind of knew it was changing? Other than the obvious stuff, the physical stuff. Dude, the only thing I can tell you is it's as close to watching, like, I mean, I, I consider him one of my closest friends. Like, after spending that time together and, and, and investing that much time of our lives together, to me, it was very similar to like watching one of your kids fight. You just like every punch that lands, you're like, 
come on, man. It, it was, it's, it's hard to even like um, think back on it. Cause it was so like, I was as devastated for him as he was to lose that fight. It was, it was emotional. You know, I was like, yeah, come on. And but once that tide started to sh- heavy beyond words man beyond words the, that i would say if someone told me this i'd be like oh that's a stretch but i'm telling you unless you were there and part of it it's hard to put into words when you're that close to someone and see that happen to them it sucked because i know he was like he, he was devastated as you can imagine and and it, i was devastated for everyone for teddy for alex for his family it was just like because look, the kid, he, he, he's grinding for everything he has. He doesn't have a PR machine behind him. Top rank's not out there, like, you know, beating the drum about Alex. They were like, oh, we've got two champions. Let's put them in together. And whichever one wins, we'll put some, put, give the push to that guy. And it was kind of like, oh, the implications were huge. I and mean, we knew it going into it, but it's hard. It's, it, was, it was hard, man. And, and to your point, like maybe in the, um, when he gets stopped in maybe the tenth round, because he was ahead on two of the three cards, so it was, I, think I think he so. got stopped in the tenth, maybe, maybe like the so you know maybe like the two rounds prior to when he got stopped, you could feel better. Beab was super strong and was wearing on him and was coming forward, and Alex was doing everything he could to keep him off and keep moving, and that was the game plan, right? To keep moving, keep boxing from the outside, moving the feet, moving around him, keeping him on angles, and when he started to get to him, you would just like. I think we have a small lead. Can we hold on to this? And then, you know, in that last round when he went down the first time, then it was like, you know, again, this is why I would never want to watch my own kids fight is because as soon as he went down the first time, I'm like, come on, man, just don't now forget about winning. Don't let him get hurt now. Cause it was obvious that the tide was shifting massively. And um, yeah, man, it was, that was, that was a tough one. That was a tough I, experience. I can, I can only imagine but, seeing that. It's just people, yeah. you know, the, the psychology of boxing. One of the things I love about it is that you could, you could honestly, this is no exaggeration. Your experience in that eight weeks in Philadelphia with Teddy, with, uh, with, with Alex, with, with the camp, and then the fight itself, you could actually write a book just about that. You could make a movie just about that because there's enough humanity and emotion, ups and downs, every emotion you can have all in that time frame, you know, that three months or whatever, total time frame, you could actually make an interesting movie just out of that. And fighters do that shit two or three times a year. It's just crazy to me that human beings can do what they do. Um, but speaking of yeah, that. That's exactly right. That's. Oh, I'm sorry, I cut you off yeah, before ahead. you could. I was just going to say, you know, speaking of that, you know, we talked about COVID, uh, quarantine, um, people just getting sick of it, people dying to get back out. People want to get boxing back, and they're talking about boxing coming back in uh, possibly June, July. I want to ask you, you know, when do you think uh, we're going to get some big fights? Just because, you know, people have been asking me that. I think it's probably going to be a while before we have those big Vegas fights where you have a crowd, you know, that could bring a, a large gate that uh, those fighters' purses demand. You know, I, I, are we going to get Wilder Fury 3 this year? I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I, like, I think that there's a handful of the fighters that are like, look, business is business, but, like, we got to get, we got to fight. Because even, you know, half a, half a normal purse is better than a zero. And, look, it's human nature. The more money you make, the more you spend. So the people that would think, like, oh, uh, I don't know, make up someone, XYZ fighter who made a million his last fight, he's good. 
well, he made a million, but he, you know, the manager got 20%, the trainer got 10%, he got taxed. He didn't have a million dollars. If the guy bought a house, he might be like have a mortgage. And I, my point is like, they're, 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 they're employees too. They got to keep working. So I think, and I think there's also a handful of guys out there, like the vast majority of them, they just, they want to fight. So I, I don't think you'll get the huge marquee matchups, although I'd love to see it. But I, I also think that Dana White did, did, boxing a bit of a favor in terms of putting out there putting out a roadmap of how to get something done and look you can pick apart a million things about but at the end of the day you can pick apart things that he did wrong and things that he did right but look he did it he put on three shows in a week and i can tell you that like those were the three happiest tv viewing moments i've had since this shit kicked off i loved it and i tell you there were parts about not having fans there that I liked more than having the fans there. Really? So I honestly, I, I, I'm indifferent towards the fans. Here, I'll give you a couple examples. Did you, did you watch the Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson fight? I didn't see it. I'm not the biggest MMA guy in the world, but you know, I watch it every okay. now and then, no, but no I didn't problem. see it. Okay. No problem. It was like a stand up battle. I mean, uh, Gaethje kicked the shit out of him and Ferguson's on a 12 fight winning streak. It would be like uh, Spence Crawford and one of them beat the shit out of the other one. You'd be like, I didn't see that one one-sided beatdown coming. Okay. So they're, they're going at it. And Gaethje has a reputation that once he's ahead, he gets reckless. They call him like the most dangerous man, like some fictional title that they made up. But it was justified. The guy's a nut. And he's also a two-time All-American wrestler. So when he's punching the shit out of you, you're not just going to take him to the ground because he'll kill you there too. So he had a he had a reputation. He did this against uh, my buddy Dustin Poirier. He gets wild and opens up and gets caught and gets knocked out. And it happened to him twice, Justin and someone else. So because there's no fans late in the fight, he starts putting it on Ferguson. And his normal tendency would be to then attack the guy like at one point did like the wobbly leg thing. And he was like, oh, he's hurt. Instead of jumping on him, his gauge, you could hear Gage's corner saying, don't rush in, calm down, relax. And he got like gathered and stuff. And you could see the guy was wobbling and instead of rushing in like 99% of fighters would, he sat back, moved forward, picked him apart and then eventually stopped him. But another fight that happened is um, Greg Hardy was in a fight with, um, I forget the dude's name, DiCarlo or something. And the DiCarlo dude, I think that was his name, was kicking Greg Hardy, the former um, defensive end for Dallas, was kicking the shit out of his lead leg. Just kicking the back of his knee. It was purple. It was all swollen. And because there's no fans, uh, Daniel Cormier, who was calling the fight for the UFC on the mic, he goes, uh, Greg Hardy better start checking those kicks or he's going to have a real damage to his knee. The next kick the guy throws, Greg Hardy like lifts his leg up. The kid's toes smash against Hardy's shin and he kind of starts hopping around. The other the guy who threw the kick, like it looked like he broke his toes or something, but he clearly was compromised. It wasn't, he didn't throw another kick. Greg Hardy stops him. And after the fight, they said, what happened in that fight? It looked like at some point you checked the kick and he got hurt. He goes, yeah, I heard Daniel Cormier say, I better start checking those kicks. So I did it. And boom, the next, but it was like those little things and those big heavyweights, when they went down to the ground, you could hear them breathing. I mean, you would think the guy was hyperventilating the way they were breathing. But to me, all those little like nuances that you wouldn't get with fans or, or, or like with Gaethje, the fans would go crazy and almost like pipe you into attacking but it was just like very cerebral and strategic. I, I appreciated it. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, if it was paper of pay-per-view UFC every weekend, I'd be there for it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting because but, it's, it's like a different wrinkle to it, you know, a, a different uh, aspect that 
maybe some fans, you know, I'm used to being in gyms and, and seeing sparring up close, and there's things that you just see in here there that you're just not going to see when you watch a fight on TV. And maybe some fans will kind of get a taste of that uh, when they bring these shows back in their shot in studios. So that's an interesting dynamic that I hadn't thought about. You know, uh, that, I don't know. Maybe I love, it could work. I love hearing... I like hearing both corners yelling commands to the fighters and, and which fighters, you know, and the fighters, like, I'm wondering, is he listening to that guy? Is he telling, he keeps telling him just for the overhand right. Is he, is the opponent like ready for that? You know what I mean? I just think it adds some, a new wrinkle and like, okay, some of the like pre and post fight shit, you, you get the crowd. It's a, it's hype. I get it. That, that part was missing, but the, end of the fight when there was like a stoppage or a knockout or a submission and then just dead silence. And one guy's on the ground, like on um, this past Saturday, Walt Harris fought the kid who um, his daughter was abducted and murdered in Alabama earlier in the year. He fought in the main event. Unfortunately he lost and Alice Overeem tuned him up, but right after the fight, so the kid's down on the ground and you could see Alice Overeem kind of like hugging him down on it. Like, dude, come on, man. You all right. Sorry about that. And it's like, he's like, yeah, it's just all business. And uh, I don't know that to me, it was like added, added an element that you don't normally get. And I, I, like I said, I didn't miss the, I didn't miss not having a crowd there. I could, I could live with this for the foreseeable future. And so I think that if they get these fights going again, you're going to see like positive response from the fans. I think. I think the diehard fans are going to like it. I I think that it'll be something interesting and different. There's like, you know, it's an anomaly. So people are attracted to the anomaly and that will be fun for yep. a while. But down the line, three, four months down the line, they're going to start to miss the crowd noise. Because, you know, just like we talked about with the first Gotti Ward fight, a big part of that fight. Now, look, you can watch that fight with no fucking sound and it's amazing. But that crowd, yep. because that was basically Mickey's backyard, right? It was like 100 miles south yep. of Lowell. So yeah. there were so many Mickey Ward fans in the crowd. And when he dropped Arturo in that ninth round, they fucking lost it. And that made it so oh, much more fun. But I'm with you, man, because I think diehard fans that appreciate all those little nuances of hearing a corner. You know, as a guy who's sparred and stuff, I could tell you, sometimes, you know, if it's real quiet in the gym and I can hear the other fighter's corner, you know, sometimes I'm listening to what he's saying, too. I'm not just listening to my corner. And there's been times where I've heard the other corner's direction, and I know what to pre- prepare for. I know what the dude's going to, you know, bring at me. So uh, that's an interesting kind of element that, you know, maybe it's going to add something that we haven't seen in a while. So, uh, you know what? I like that. That That's a positive way to look at this because I've, I've heard some people, you know, just kind of shitting on the idea of coming back with no fans. And I, I think it's better than nothing. And I think it, it'll be good for the fighters to get busy and make some money. Uh, I just hope that we could get some big matchups at least toward the end of this year in the fourth quarter. We shall see. But um, I'm, I'm just yeah. thinking, man, I'm looking at all my questions here. I, I, you know, I, I, I told you I'd only keep you for like 20 minutes. We've been talking for almost 40 minutes. I'm sorry about that. It's just, you know, once we get going, uh, it's good stuff. But... I'm, in qu- I'm in quarantine, dude. <laughs> I got all the time in the world for you. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, you know what? I'm just, you know, kind of hit everything I wanted to hit, man. The one thing I I forgot to ask you about, what do you think about all this Mike Tyson shit? You know, obviously Mike Tyson's not coming back. He's not going to fight a top heavyweight. The last time he did fight, what, 15 years ago or whatever it was, he was beat by a journeyman. 
But this dude brings out some some social media media videos of him, you know, doing some punch combinations on the mitts, and it blows up the internet, and everyone's talking about this shit. What does that say about Mike Tyson, man? He's still a huge brand. Huge. It's a, I mean, he's a huge brand, but yeah, just like like you said, I mean, last time out, Kevin McBride was tuning him up. Um, but look, I mean, he, he brings out fans. People are curious about him. He seems like a different person these days. He seems much more uh, relaxed. Um, hey, good luck to him. I, like you said, I don't think that he's going to be fighting anyone of note. And if he puts on an exhibition fight and uh, for pay-per-view or whatever, good luck to him. I, I don't really think about it much in terms of boxing. It's more like uh, a curiosity factor for people that are like super fans of Tyson. Yeah, it's more like just the entertainment kind of thing. I, I wonder if those yeah. videos would have broke the internet the same way if we weren't having a global lockdown. You know, I wonder about that. I think, I don't know if they would have had as big an impact, but I think whatever he does is just so topical. And people just like, yeah. he's an on, anomaly. When he was on top, people were just like, oh my God, this guy is like the most feared man or the baddest man on the planet, which now I think should be, that title should probably go to the UFC heavyweight champ since... Really? You know, in that, in in it, yeah. Well, in a street fight, who you want to be? You want to be the oh, guy who's like take one. you down on the ground and like maul you. you Wait, well, if if the guy if, was, if the guy <laughs> knocks you out before you can uh, before he can tackle you and maul you, then I'm taking that guy. That debate, <laughs> that's very true. That's just going to be like the Michael Jordan Lebron James debate, baby. That's just going to go on to the end of time. Although <laughs> I think there's no debate there. It's it's MJ, but. Uh, all right, you know what? Hey, I, one thing okay. about that, though, I gotta give I gotta give huge credit though to um, James Tony. Of all the shit talking back and forth between MMA fighters and boxers, that's one guy who was like, "Yeah, let's go. I'll fight anyone. I'll fight you, whatever style you want." And got in there with Randy Couture and had a go at it. And I like I give Tony a ton of credit because you only have to spend like one training session with a wrestler or a jujitsu guy on the ground to realize like, Oh my God, I'm out of my element. Just like you, oh, always, yeah. if you took a wrestler and put him in the ring with James Tony with boxing gloves, he, it would, he, the guy wouldn't land a shot and might get murdered. So, but yeah. credit to Tony was just like, yeah, I don't care. Let's go. I'll take my chances that I can catch you with a punch. You're so right about anyway. that. You're so right about that. Um, Cause you know, we haven't seen many boxers go in that direction and he did at one point, and I do give him props for that. And, you know, look, the whole UFC versus boxing thing, that always goes. And I, I tell people all the time, it's two different sports. And it, if two guys fight and they have two different martial arts, it's going to be the guy who's better at his martial art who's going to win. You know, a, a great yeah. wrestler is going to beat a novice boxer in a street fight. A great boxer is going to beat yeah. a novice kickboxer in a street fight. That's just how it goes. But people love to just yeah. argue this shit so much. But uh, I was going to ask you, man, uh, please tell everybody where they can follow you on Twitter and uh, follow the podcast because now I see the podcast has a, a Twitter profile as well. Yeah, it's The Fight with Teddy Alice. I think our Twitter handle is uh, The Fight WTA. Oh, yeah. WTA. It's at The Fight WTA. Um, and you can follow me at, uh, what am I? K ride out one, two. And on Instagram is Ken ride out one, two. I post more stuff probably on Instagram, but that's more about my kids and stuff. Yeah. You have a wonderful like, family. Kids. Three boys, one girl. Oh, thanks. Um, beautiful, beautiful family. I love it. So, um, yeah. Thanks. man. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, dude, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Uh, I'll let you go. And uh, stay safe out there. And let's do it again soon. And maybe one of these days, I don't know, you guys don't take calls or anything, but maybe one day we could do a, a cross-promotional thing or something and I can uh, get on your sure. pod or something like that. Anytime, man. Anytime. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, brother. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye-bye. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ken Rideout. Awesome chat, man. Awesome chat. Awesome guy. Just a really, really awesome guy. Uh, you guys, you know, follow him on Twitter, but uh, definitely on Instagram. He, he shares a lot of stuff. And this dude is jacked. Like, I think I'm in pretty good shape for my age. Ken's jacked because this dude literally bikes 60 miles at a time and stuff. He's crazy. So um, I'm trying to be... I'm trying to be more like him when I grow up. But anyway, if you guys have any calls, get them in now, and um, we'll we'll go ahead and chat real quick. If not, then we will log off here. But I hope you guys enjoyed that, man. And look, I actually posted a poll on Twitter, uh, I think it was last week, or maybe over the weekend, whatever it was, and I asked you guys out there, you know, in the Twitter world, are you listening to more, less, or about the same podcast? And I saw a lot of you guys were saying um, that I'm listening, you know, you're listening to less podcasts because there ain't shit to talk about right now. I agree with that to an extent. However, go back and listen to this interview again. I think that was pretty fun and interesting. We hit a bunch of different subjects. So look, guys, there's always something to talk about. What I try to give you here is something different than everyone else is doing because I think everyone else in the world is doing the same old mythical matchup bullshit, which can be fun. Don't get me wrong. I ain't shitting on it. I do mythical matchups too. But I think there could be fatigue from that because everyone's doing it, right? So hopefully you guys found that as fun. Let's go to the phones here. I think this is Jack. Let me check here. 773, you're on TNC. Go. Great interview with Ken. I got a bone to pick with you, though. I, I mean, if you're, if, how do you not watch these UFC fights when there's nothing else on? I mean, what else are you doing? <laughs> what else are you watching if there's got to tune in that USC fight. Huge card, USC 249, the only sporting event in the last two months, and you didn't watch it? <laughs> I'm a terrible human being, right? You know what, dude? I was probably working on the house, doing something on the house. I've been completely uh, gutting. I, I, I have a hill in my backyard, and I took a bobcat and cleared all that out, flattened it out. I've moved over 300 stones from the back to the front. I've done all kinds of shit. I've been ripping roots out of the ground because there's some bamboo in my backyard. I'm not going to bore you to death with that shit. But that's probably what I was doing, bro. Uh, most most nights, you know, that's from like 6 o'clock to like 9 o'clock. That's what I've been doing the last few weeks. The UFC thing, the two, 249, I would have watched that if it wasn't pay-per-view. But that shit was on pay-per-view, man. And I'm just not a big UFC guy. I'm just not going to spend that money on something I don't watch that much. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Got to take care of the yard work. Got to take care of the house. And it is yeah. true. There's a big um, pay-per-view price. It's no joke. How much? Like $60, $70. So well, that's better than there. the boxing um, pay-per-view, right? Because they – what is UFC, Jack? Is it like 60 bucks? Do you remember? Are they $60, those? Uh, I think we lost Jack. Jack – Oh, here you go. You you lost. You dropped for a second, but I hear you now. 
Oh, yeah. I think it's like, um, I don't know. I usually order the free streams. I usually find a way on the internet to uh, do it the ghetto version. But when it's a big uh, okay. card, I usually pay the um, 60 bucks. It's usually like $69.99, $59.99. Uh, but anyway, we'll, I'll get away with the USC talk. I'm going to talk about this Mike Tyson because it's getting kind of uh, absurd. Like, all right, if Mike Tyson wants to come back, stick him in the ring with Philippe Hergovich. Let's Shit. see if he really wants to come back because I'm I'm sick of these old dudes trying to act like they can box. And hey, I'm an old oh, dude who acts like I can box. What are you trying to say, man? <laughs> well, act, box, really, yeah, box, yeah, really box, level. yeah, not fake boxing like me. Yeah, I hear you, man. <laughs> because it's just like you had your time. You had your time. Your time has passed. Sports is a young man's sport. Sports are for young there's people in their physical primes. Fifty year old men should not be boxing. So if he really wants to do it, let's stick him in there with the um with a young, hungry contender and let's see if we can do it because I don't want to do these little sideshow exhibition matches, this and that, because it's just it's a joke. It's a it takes away. <laughs> Even Connor, at least Connor McGregor was in his prime and he was at the peak of his physical prime and People say he got washed and this and that, but I just feel like um, when it comes to like fifty-five-year-old man, it's just it's absurd. But I'll leave it at that. Hey man, you're a sadist, Jack. Look, I'll say this, Jack. If if he comes back and he does an exhibition, even if it's him and Holyfield, I actually I'm not too comfortable with Holyfield doing it. But if uh, if Tyson came back and did an exhibition or something. And he put it on pay-per-view and people wanted to buy it. Good for them. It's just like when Floyd and Conor fought. Like, I knew what that was. That was a scripted fight. You know, it was a, it was a gentleman's agreement. But I wasn't hating on nobody if they wanted to buy that fight. I just kind of knew what the outcome was going to be. You know what I'm saying? So, look, it's all entertainment. I, I'm with you in the respect that, you know, I get it. He's had his time and this, that, the other. But Tyson's still a brand. And when he posts videos of him doing mitt work and it blows up the internet, it does get people talking about boxing and it's not them talking about two YouTubers fighting, you know, fucking Logan Paul or some shit. They're talking about an actual OG. So if, if something could, let me ask you this, dude, let's say Tyson fights in an exhibition match and it's the main event, but on the undercard, you got Devin Haney fighting or, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just Jaime Munguia, whoever it is. I'm just trying to think of names. And you have some, some, you know, active guys fighting on the undercard. I wouldn't mind it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know, dude. It's just, it doesn't bother me that much. I just think it's funny when people think, you know, could he come back and win a title? Like, dude, are you serious? No. Anyway. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's a cash grab. It's, that's what it seems like to me. But it feels like the only difference between the Conor McGregor fight, at least Conor McGregor is not going to get hurt because Floyd Mayweather, he's not going to hurt him. He's not going to knock him out. I feel like with these old guys, they can get hurt. They can get hurt and put out. No, I agree on that. Now, now if that's your beef, then I'm all, I'm a hundred percent with you. Mike Tyson has all of his faculties and he's in pretty good shape. Evander Holyfield, I'm not that comfortable with him training. But I'll tell you, I saw James Tony, you know, post a video on social saying now he wants to come back. That, you know, he should never be sanctioned to fight again. He has he has irreparable damage. 
So like, I'm with you on that. If boxing's this ain't basketball. We ain't shooting hoops here. So I'm with you on that, Jack. Well, the difference is he may be in good shape, but what's his chin like? What's his brain like? What's his ability to take a shot? Because yeah. that's that's really what his difference makes. Like, he may be able to hit punch hard and this and that. It's the power's the last thing to go, but what happens when someone clips him on the chin, gets knocked out and bangs his head against the back of the canvas? That's that's really when um, you got a problem. But anyways, this is coming from Chicago, not uh, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I thought I thought yeah, it was, this was Jack, Jack, dude. Oh, so, my bad, dude. No. Oh, no. Because uh, I didn't They're recognize the area week. code. No, I appreciate no your call, man. No doubt. Take it easy. You too, brother. Yeah, yeah, because I thought you were Jack, because Jack called in earlier. I'm sorry about that, bro. Uh, let, real quick, I got super chats. I saw Pietro with the super chat earlier. Thank you very, very much, Pietro. And then we just had a super chat from Trent. Thank you so much, Trent. And he asks, is Caleb Plant the best at 168? I know him and Justin Gamber trained with Uzbeks, but could he handle Bully Beck? Right now he could handle Bully Beck because he's just more seasoned. Right now, um, as far as who I'd rate number one, at 168, it's tough, dude. Uh, I think the, the best fighter, like if they were all fighting each other in a tournament this weekend, I'd probably take Benavidez. I just think he has more the most upside and the just the right amount of seasoning, upside, power, aggression, everything right now. Caleb Plant right there. Callum Smith right there. Beck, he's going to be there real soon, and he'll be the, maybe the top guy in a couple more years. He just needs a little more seasoning. But Caleb Plant, you know, I wouldn't count him out against anybody. It's just. His best win so far, I'm trying to think, uh, it was Uskataga, right? Uskataga, who I think might have been a little overrated. Was kind of a boogeyman guy, but, you know, seen as a boogeyman type of guy. But I think he might have been a little overrated. And I just want to see Caleb get in there against a guy that we know is legit. And maybe if he gets in there against a guy like a Benavidez or, or Callum Smith, whoever, and he shows us another level that we haven't seen yet because he hasn't had to go there. He hasn't been pulled, you know, to where he had to really, really dig down. So maybe there's more to him. Just based on what I've seen so far, I'd say I'd pick Benavidez head-to-head. In terms of who's the most accomplished so far, I think it's Callum Smith because Callum Smith won the tournament a couple years ago. He hasn't done a damn thing since, and he got a gift in one of his defenses, but... Technically speaking, undefeated, won the tournament. So he's kind of the top guy right now in terms of accomplishments. But uh, Johnny Boy in the chat says, I've been saying Plant Benavidez should fight and the winner should get a crack at Canelo. But we got politics between that. Yeah, I agree with you, bro. Uh, But Plant Benavidez, that has been discussed. I'll tell you right now, it's very possible for 2021. uh, It's something that has been discussed, but it it will be pay-per-view. If and when it happens, it'll be pay-per-view. Is that a pay-per-view worthy fight in terms of those guys, their star power? Hell no. But in terms of the quality of the matchup, hey, any matchup like that that you're going to get on PBC, that's going to be uh, Fox pay-per-view for now on. That's that's their business plan. So uh, love it or hate it, that's what they're going to do. Me personally, pay-per-view or not, I just want to see those fights get made. You know what I'm saying? And Caleb Plant versus uh, David Benavidez, 
I think that's an awesome matchup. I'd love to see that. Would love to see it. Let's see. Let's uh, jump to the phones here. I, I apologize to that last caller, dude. I, I thought you were Jack because he called earlier. All right, uh, 353, you're on the neutral corner. Go. Yo, how's it going? How's it What's going? Up? I thought that was you, Mark. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Everybody hit the like button. It helps promote the growth and visibility of all channels. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, so I, I got in because I, I came off my own thing. And Mike, Iron Mike, um, I heard that was the last thing that was being discussed. I'm cool with him coming back for an exhibition against somebody, whether it's an all fighter or nobody yeah. like myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, hey, I'll, I'll take it. They want to pay I'll me a million dollars. Exhibition. Yeah, shit. Uh, I'll officially throw my name into the ring. I'll fight Mike Tyson. Um, I'll probably end up being injured, but I'll fight him. <laughs> um, now, let him come back and do an exhibition. But the people who are out there saying, Mike's going to come back and he's going to become the youngest and oldest undisputed champion in heavyweight history. Whoa. Calm down. They're they're forgetting they're looking at Mike Tyson back when he was fighting Tony Tucker, you know. Right. They're not looking at the guy who last time he was in a professional ring with Kevin McBride, he's spitting out his own blood. Yep. And you know you what? Know? Even let me ask you this. I don't mean to be sacrilegious here, but even the prime Mike Tyson, the guy who was fighting Tony Tucker, are we a hundred percent sure he beats Tyson Fury? I'm not. I'm not 100% sure. No, I, I'm not, I never am a fantasy voice. But what I will say is, during his time, and you know this yourself, for that brief moment, he looked unstoppable for two years. Like nothing could ever touch this dude. He did look that way based on what he was fighting for a brief period, you know? Mm-hmm. He looked unbelievable. Like this small guy who moves that fast, closes the ring off that good. Did he go on to really solidify that with his resume? No. And there's a lot of different reasons people can bring into it, but he never fully, fully did. And um, but he he was incredible for two, three years. He he was he was he was the dude. He in three years he amassed the following that rivals Muhammad Ali. I agree. I agree. Um, in terms of his brand, I I, I don't I think he huge. was bigger than Ali. You know what I'm saying? Like Ali was more popular for his political activist beliefs and, and all that. Of course, his fighting. Of course. I don't want to discount that. But Tyson, just in terms of his star power in media, you can make an argument. And I said this a million times. He's the biggest star in the history of boxing. One of the biggest stars in the history of sports, period. You could. You, could, you, can, make, you can make that claim. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Just because I think every boxing fan nowadays knows the names, right? Yeah. They know both brands. And if you go back, more people throughout the history of life know who Ali is more than Tyson just because he was around earlier. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's a good point. Um, so, but, but at the same point, more people know who Jesus is than know Michael Jackson because he was around for it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's a good point. Um, and he didn't still, touch little boys. But still. So, but you know, that's beside the point. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> I wasn't making a comparison. Like oh, that. I know. I know. 
Holy shit. Oh, God. Well, you know, somebody oh, in the comment section was going to do that. You know, so he compared yeah. Jesus to Mike. So, yeah. I I'm just, ta- no, I'm talking fame. I'm talking yeah, no, yeah. no, no names. Michael Jackson at one point was as famous as Jesus on planet Earth. Oh, yeah. No doubt. At one point. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm cool with Tyson coming back, uh, having an exhibition, a one-off. And I love your idea there, by the way. Get some of these prospects on there who need a name boost. Get him to headline a card in a pay-per-view thing or whatever. Maybe he fights four or six rounds. Who cares? It's Mike Tyson. They get to relive old memories, you know? Exactly. They get to relive certain things that they're enamored with. You go back, you watch it, he fights against whoever, and then throw on a lot of people and they get a board they get a bump because their name is attached to Mike Tyson, you know? If they want to really make this a freak show, like a complete freak show, take an old wrestler or an old MMA guy who's around the same age. So it could be another one of these crossover things. It could be like Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, the, the elderly version, do that in the main event and then put on some of these young guys. How about this? Yeah. How about this? I'm sure you'll watch it. I'll watch it. How about we get Mike Tyson? In an exhibition fight with Dwayne Johnson. Oh shit! That would blow up. The, the, I was that could be the biggest selling pay per view ever. Yeah, dude. That like a five round boxing match, you know. And because Dwayne is Dwayne Johnson is still young enough, people would think, oh, it's competitive. He could beat Tyson. I still think Tyson would win. He's athletic. He's big. He's strong. Yeah. Tyson would beat him in a boxing match, but that would be fun as hell. It'd be a freak show. People would watch it. And then again, if you did it the right way and you put a few prospects on the car, or, you know, young guys, contenders, young champions, whatever, that need that PR, it could be big. Will that happen? Fuck no. They're going to put him in there against the cab driver. <laughs> you know, and there would be no Probably. undercard. That's, that's going to be what it is. Well. I'm not a cop driver, but I'll take the fight. That yeah, Mike Tyson, no, man. I'll take him. Mike, will you take the fight? Hell yeah, I'll take the fight. I'm not there taking that go. fight two for names in the $1,000, but they want to give me some life-changing money. I'll get my ass beat by an old Mike Tyson. Sign me up. If it's on pay-per-view, I'll do it for, I'll do it for 300 k Shit, 300 k That's life-changing money. I'm never going to see that money. It is. So, yeah, make it where happen. I'm from, Where I'm from, I can get three houses for that money. Yeah, shit. Probably could do that here in Atlanta. Well, Atlanta's changing now because assholes like me are moving from the big cities and coming here and jacking up the rates here. Yeah, they don't, you know, dicks like me from L.A. and New York are ruining Atlanta is what everyone keeps telling me. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anyway. Anyway, let me just ask you a quick question before I go, right? Is is Bob Arum, is Bob Arum, Telling the truth on this Tiafimo and Lama thing that's taking place in September is he bullshit? What was just a marinade? No, no, he, they're they're serious about it. There's serious legs there, so it, it could happen. I think they realize that if it doesn't happen at the end of this year, that fight's probably not going to happen. So even if they have to go out of their pocket a little bit more and everything else, I, I think that they want to try to do it. It is possible, and I think the hope is. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, just about boxing coming back. No promoter is going to just do a big fight. They they want to have a couple of you know market samplers 
And that's what's going to happen in June, July, August with Top Rank. They're going to do these little cards. You're going to see Jamel Herring fighting. Uh, who's he going to fight? It's uh, Okendo. He's going to fight. Okay. Yeah, he's going to fight Jonathan Okendo. You know, it's going to be that that's level okay. of matchup. But they test the market, and then maybe in September they can do something. So we'll see. It's possible. It's Shakur. Possible. Shakur is fighting. Isn't he Shakur is fighting Rafael Rivera? They're talking about that that's too. What yeah. yeah. I yeah. Don't, like All nothing's right. like solidified right. yet, but that's probably what's you're gonna get. All right. Thanks, Luke. Take care. Hit yeah, the man, you too, brother. All right, we got one more call here, and then we'll wrap it up, guys. Eight one eight, you're on TNC. Go. Eight one eight. Oh, what's up, Carlos? How you doing, man? Pretty good, pretty good, man, man. You know what? I was uh, on social media, man, and I and I saw a little bit of a uh, of a post. It's, it it was in regards to a possible fight between Jojo Diaz and uh, Amner Mars, man. I, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I've heard about that too. That's that's being discussed as well. Um, you know, for a brand building type of thing, that's that's a good matchup for Diaz. That would do numbers in L.A. People would show up and watch that. If they put it at the right venue, the right date, I think it'd do well. I really, really do. Yeah, same here, man. But I, I think uh, JoJo is a little bit more settled in at 130, obviously. Yeah. I feel uh, after as long as the tooth, he's, he's been worn down. I feel even though uh, JoJo doesn't have uh, that much power, I feel, I feel he can take out Mahrez in the late round. I completely agree. I just saw Johnny Boy in the chat said the same thing. Yeah, I think um, he'd be too much for him right now. But Morris, with all his experience, his skills, you know, that's going to be a competitive fight in the first half. And then I, that's where I think, like, youth will kind of take over in the second half. But that's why I go back to, like, brand building. In terms of brand building, that's Definitely. a great matchup for Diaz. Definitely agree, man. I feel 130 is one of the more overrated divisions, man. I, like underrated divisions. I feel oh, yeah. um, a potential yeah. fight between JoJo and then uh, what's his name, uh, Burchelt. That would be great. I, I honestly feel too that Burchelt can actually. Uh, I, I know you touched on it a couple podcasts ago. Um, I, I feel you think uh, Herring would uh, uh, outbox uh, Burchelt, but I don't know, man. I, I feel that the power and 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 the uh, the volume of Burchelt would be too much. I don't know if that's Look. something. The... I agree that that's absolutely possible. Like, I favor, I favor Herring, you know, by close decision. But it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Burchelt win that fight. But you know, I just, I think that Herring's style would give Burchelt a lot of problems. That's why I favor him. But it's going to be a damn close competitive fight either way. And um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Burchelt beat anybody at one thirty. He's a very good fighter. Yeah, I honestly feel he's the best at 130, and I I would die for a match between Burchell and Loma, man. I I think Loma should not go up to 140. I know there was rumors about that, but I I'd rather him drop down to 130 and fight. I mean, Burchell would be great, or a rematch with uh, Gary Russell would be a good fight. Uh, I I feel those divisions are are really uh, hot divisions right now. Yeah, I think there's more options at 130 for Loma and there's fights that are makeable. I mean, let's just say it's not out of the realm of possibility that uh, let's say Diaz and Mario's fight and Diaz wins and Loma ends up moving back down to 130. Those two could fight. 
they could fight um, because yep. you know Golden Boy and um, and Top Rank they've worked together in the past. You talked about Burchelt, mm-hmm. even Herring. Herring's with Top Rank, so there there are all sorts of possibilities if Loma goes down. If he stays at thirty five, there's not as many possibilities. At forty, I just think that's too heavy. He's he's a natural featherweight, so I, I think. And they've talked about that. His team has talked about going down. It's possible that that happens next year that he goes down the weight after the fight with Lopez. See, for Herring, I feel like a, a rematch with the with Lamont Roach that would be a a good fight. I think Roach. I honestly think he got he he learned a lot from that fight. So I feel that that would be a great fight. Yeah, and those two have a history. They know each other. So I think that's why the fight was competitive. And I think that if they fought again, it'd be interesting to see what kind of adjustments. It might be the same thing again, though. It might be another really close, you know, competitive fight that surprises people. But, um, yeah, I mean, dude, there's so many great matchups that could be made right around, I mean, really from 26 to 30, 35. It's just, particularly with the younger guys, they got to fight each other, man. And I I hope that happens, you know. Definitely, especially in my eyes, Ryan Garcia at 135. I feel he needs to start fighting somebody, man. He's calling out, making a lot of noise on social media, man. But in all honesty, he, he hasn't really fought, fought anybody. Um, I just want to see him face a live body, man. I, I feel Luke Campbell right now, he's he's probably more proven than him. And he's probably more proven than uh, with his Haney. Haney, who's just, oh, uh, I don't know, he's making noise on social media. But they honestly, I feel Luke would at this point I, I feel he has a good shot at beating both of them well luke's just got more experience you know luke's been in with everybody so you know he's lost against the very best guys but there's no shame in that he's got more experience that he would be a great step up opponent for one of those guys at some point but you know ryan garcia is supposed to fight jorge Linares next even though Linares is past his best i'd still love to see that fight that'd be a good step up fight for him of the of the the four pups as I call them at one thirty five, all four of those young dudes, the one who's that has the worst resume right now is Devin Haney. He just and I like Devin Haney. He might be the best out of the four one day, but he just hasn't fought nobody yet, and hopefully that changes soon. <clears throat> Definitely agree, man. Definitely agree. All right, man. Well, well, thank you for taking the call, man. I really do appreciate it. Best yeah. of luck, man. All right. Have a good night, brother. Uh, we got one more here. Four four seven. Four four seven. You're on the show. Uh, hello, Mike. How's it going? It's me, Hamid. Hey, man. What's up, man? Yeah, I just called in. I didn't have many really related to any boxing news questions as for right now, but I had a couple. Just I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of things from the past. I was wondering, uh, how did you score the Mayweather? Medara fight. I think that was on the other night on Showtime. The first one? So, the first one... Uh, like, yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of people out there that said that uh, Maidana won that fight. I disagree. I thought it was close, but I think... Um, I think I had it like 7-5 for Floyd. Maybe 8-4 for Floyd. I thought it was close, but I thought Floyd won that fight clearly. Close, but clearly won. Yeah, do you think that was closer than the De La Hoya fight? Because uh, I think I I thought the same. I remember the De La Hoya fight. I don't think that was as close as I initially thought. Hmm. That's a good question. You know, honestly, dude, I haven't seen the Mayweather De La Hoya fight in a long time. 
And I might before before I answer that question, I might have to go back and watch that one again. When I scored that fight live, I think I had it like seven rounds to five for Floyd. Uh, maybe eight four, kind of yeah. in the same range. But I would have to watch. I've seen the Maidana fight recently because, like you said, they've replayed it. But I haven't seen the uh, Mayweather De La Hoya. I'd have to watch that one again. I remember yeah, that. I, I, I was just going to say I remember that yeah, fight well, being close in the first half, and then De La Hoya just stopped jabbing, and Floyd kind of figured him out. And but it, it really showed me that a prime De La Hoya may have beat Floyd. Yeah, I I, I had the eight four live. I thought De La Hoya. Okay. I could have arguably got a draw, but I think De La Hoya he just slowed down. He completely. Yeah. What's the word? Uh, he completely faded in the second half of that fight, and he stopped jabbing. Uh, I, I think he lost that fight. That was a fight I don't think he could claim a robbery or no. argue, argue about. I, I thought Medana did a bit more better than him because I think uh, in the Medana Mayweather fight, Mayweather was cut, and I think he was losing that fight after about seven, eight rounds. I think after that, Mayweather just pulled away. Uh, I was going to say... Do you do you reckon that Pacquiao in 2009-10 would have beaten him? I think after Pacquiao beat Cotto, I changed my prediction. I initially thought Mayweather was too big for him. But after that fight, I, I thought Pacquiao's work rate was too much. I I just couldn't see how Mayweather would have kept him off. Pacquiao in 2008, 2009, 2010, right around there, those those were really, it, it was his absolute peak. And 140, I, I think he only had one fight at 140, but to me, that was his best weight. 147 was a little too heavy for him, even though he has great wins at 147. But I always say the most competitive version of a fight between Mayweather and Pacquiao you could make is right around 2010 or maybe 2008, something like that, 140 pounds. Even at 147, that's a pick em fight. I absolutely think Pacquiao would have been a nightmare for Floyd at that time. And just he waited about just enough. And you can see if you watch that fight. I mean, Floyd boxed beautifully in the fight with Pacquiao. He did. He had some advantages going into that fight. And Manny just, you could clearly see he had lost a step, just was not the same guy. And, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I think the Pacquiao that fought Cotto, Margarito, mm-hmm. style-wise, I think Hatton. he was all wrong for... Yeah, Hatton, De La Hoya as well. He was all wrong for Mayweather. At the same time, I do think Mayweather himself was towards the end of his career as well. Cause I know they were both old in that fight. I know Mayweather's style with the age does probably not affect his style as much, but at the same time, the work rate for both guys was very bad in that fight. Although in the primes, I think uh, I would have to favor Pacquiao. Probably, I don't think it would be a knockout, but it would probably be, I think, somewhere where I could see maybe Pacquiao scoring a knockdown and getting That's some exactly. sort of uh, combative decision. That's exactly how I see it. I, 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 think, I think it was this fight with Mosley where Pacquiao dropped Mosley early and then Mosley kind of played it a little safe and you know really, really minded his defense after that. And that fight was kind of dull going down the stretch, but Pacquiao clearly won. I think a fight with Floyd obviously would have been more competitive, but I think Pacquiao probably could have scored a flash knockdown, you know, early in that fight against Floyd if they fought at their absolute best. You know, I I really do think that, and I think that Manny would have eked out a close decision. 
Yeah. Oh, before I go, I just want to say, is uh, Dan Raphael now working for uh, Ring Magazine? Because I think I've seen him post something that he wrote the article. Or is that just something was which was a one-off? Yeah, probably a one-off. He might contribute every now and then and like submit an article or something like that. Because you know, Ring will we have a dedicated team of regular contributors, but then we have people that drop in every now and then and do a piece. So something like that might happen every now and then, but I haven't been told about him becoming like a regular contributor at all. All right. That's okay. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks for doing what you Good to speak to you. I'll catch you soon. Absolutely. Have a good night, man. All right. You too. All right. So that is it for the calls for tonight. So we can get the outro music going. Oh, there it is. Good show, guys. Appreciate it. And thank you for all the callers, everybody who watched live. And um, again, won't be going on next Monday, but the Monday after that. So next time I talk to you guys here on TNC, it will be June. And hopefully uh, we'll be a little more opened up in the world. And uh, yeah, I'm over this lockdown shit. I think you guys are too. It's just, we got the fatigue. Anyway, guys, take care of each other. Enjoy your holiday weekend. And sooner or later, I'll see you at the fights. <laughs>